All right, the Justice Wars, part three. Now we're kind of dealing with some of the controversial stuff that's going on in our world a little bit, but more. my, my goal is more seeing the biblical perspective on things. Uh, you know, we're currently in the throes of a, a war of ideas, a war of ideologies. Uh, we're currently in the throes of a theological war, really, which that's a war over truth and justice and righteousness and the Bible. Uh, we're in a war for the souls of people and, and really the the, uh, the integrity of our nation, really. We're in a war for all kinds of things. As you well know, we're also in a uh, racial conflict, you know. And, and I just say this, you know, I don't want to insult your intelligence, anything like that, because I, I think it's understood, especially for us as believers. Uh, don't divide or judge people based on skin color. You know, that's, that's a pretty shallow thing. I mean, that's about as ridiculous as it gets, you know. Because if, if we trace back the biblical story, guess what? We go all the way back. We just keep rewinding the clock all the way back. Guess who we're going back to? There's two guys. That's the papa of us all. There's Noah and then there's Adam. They're the papa of all of us, aren't they? So, so we uh, had a, a class at, at the school that I used to, used to teach at years ago. Uh, it's called uh, One Blood. Isn't it really what we are? We are one blood. If you trace it all back just right, go all the way back to Adam. Amen. So don't divide over or judge people based on their skin color. I, I, I think I, I like to see it like this. You know, people are either good or bad. You know, there's, there's good white folks, there's bad white folks. There's good black folks, there's bad white black folks. You know, there's good of every skin color, there's bad of every skin color. I, I like to look at it like that or, or maybe use this terminology here. There's decent folks of all skin color. There's indecent folks of all skin color. And I just kind of look at it like that. Now, the scripture looks at it in... in Polarizing ways are two different categories. Scripture looks at things like this. People are either saved or they're lost. They're either believer or unbeliever. They're either a saint or sinner. They're either a sheep or a goat. You know any goats? <laughs> they're either wheat or tares, Jesus said. They're either in the kingdom of light or in the kingdom of darkness. Jesus was real plain on all that, wasn't he? Real plain. And uh, even, even, even more so than that, Jesus would say you're either underneath the wrath of God or you're underneath, you know, the blessing of God. There's a lot of, lot of things that we could say, that, but, but don't split it on skin color or nationality. That's not, that's not a healthy thing for any of us to do because uh, you go to a certain place and you'll be on the wrong side of that kind of divide. You know what I mean? So we, we don't want to do that. Now, we took a quick look at some of the social groups and stuff like that a couple weeks ago and looking at the way that they look at justice and uh, you know, many of the political groups and social activist groups and things like that, they've got far different meaning of justice or, or what's right than what the Bible says. And our, our interest is to see what does the Bible say about justice. Okay, you got some fill in the blanks there on your notes on the front and back of the page. You can follow along looking at the screen or, or have you want to. Or those notes help you. More power to you. Go for it. All right. Now, this is a little bit of review from last week, but I just want to kind of lay this in your mind again. Psalm 11.3 says this, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, foundations are important, aren't they? You know, if we're building a house, a foundation is what holds it all together. It's what stabilizes it. It's what ties the whole structure together, right? The foundation. You can have a fancy sink in the bathroom and all the fancy amenities in the kitchen and all the wonderful TV, but if the foundation crumbles, does any of that matter? It doesn't matter a bit. So there's a warning right here in, in Psalm 11.3. I believe it's a warning. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, we looked at this last week. Here, here's an important foundation. God is just in all his ways. Say that with me. God is just 
in all his ways. That, that simply means he's, he's right. He always does the right thing. Can, can you have faith for that? To believe that maybe today it doesn't look so right and so good to me, but when it's all said and done, when God gets through working, it's going to not just be right, it's going to be good from what, or you remember Romans eight twenty eight. remember we were up here baking that cake, taking all those different ingredients, mixing it all together, and, and what may not be a good ingredient over here, you mix it in with everything else and it all tastes good. Well, God promises over our life that he is going to make it all good before it's all said and done. That's a wonderful promise. But here, here's the truth. If we remove God and his word out of any given society or family or situation or city or church, if we remove God and his authority and his word, justice is left in the hands of sinful people. And that almost always will lead to an injustice somehow. Almost always. We said this last week. This is my favorite statement out of all, all of last week. God is too loving to be unjust, and he's too wise to be wrong. You believe that? You got faith for that? God is too loving to be unjust, and he's too wise to be wrong. Now, here's, here's some of the scriptures we backed all that up with. Verse 11, or Psalm 11, verse 5 through 7 says this. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. I think some folks need to hear that today. The one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and his countenance beholds the upright. And then we, we looked at Psalm eighty-nine, fourteen: Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So this idea that God is just is a real foundation for us and that he always does the right thing. He always will work it out for good, for his glory and my good is how I like to say it. All right, let's, let's cover some more ground here. This is some new ground for us. We're going to get to 2 Timothy 3 in just a moment. Another foundation. Now, again, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, here's, here's another foundation that's under threat. It's not just under threat because of today. It's always been under threat, really, because we've got an adversary. Foundation. The Bible is God's word to us. Now, it may sound elementary, but that's got to be clarified today. That's got to be clarified in all of our minds because we're losing grip on solid truths that the church has held for years. I'm talking about just even in the church. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not just talking about years. I'm talking about generations. Millenniums, actually. The Bible is God's word to us. So the principles and guidelines for justice and righteousness are found in the Holy Scriptures. Do you believe that? The principles. Now I say principles because the Bible doesn't answer every situation in life. It, it doesn't give you an answer about where you should go to college or, or who you should marry. It doesn't tell you some of the specific things. But what the Bible does, it gives us principles on how to make those certain decisions, right? It gives us guidelines and says that, hey, you know what? If you're going to marry somebody, be sure you're not unequally yoked with them. Be sure they're of the same mind and of the same heart and of the same focus and of the same, have, have the same God, you know? Follow Jesus together, all that kind of thing. So it doesn't tell you who to marry per se, like don't marry this one or that one. It says, but this is the kind of person you're looking for. You know what I'm talking about? Just guidelines. And it does that in every area of our life, Okay. So the principles and guidelines for justice are in the Holy Scriptures. Now, I like that word scriptures right there. If you were to take that and, and kind of split that word in half right there, you got the script. <laughs> you know, that's what the Bible is. It's the script. It's the script God wants us to live by. You got that? All right. Never mind. That's, that's just a little side tangent. 
That's, you don't have to pay for that. That's not, no charge on that. <laughs> Here's another build on that same foundation. The Bible is our standard for right and wrong. Whether it applies to you or whether it applies to me or whether it applies to our political officials or whether it applies to, to a nation, whether it applies to a, a, a family or whatever, a, a particular race, the Bible is set as the standard for right and wrong. And this is really where the divide happens between the followers of Jesus and the followers of other movements. This is where we all differ right here because the Bible sometimes is just looked at as an as a ancient book that maybe should be respected, but not necessarily followed. We're seeing a lot of that in church today. You know that? In fact, they say things like this. They say, uh, we are a people, you'll hear them because they're watering it down. Look, we are people that take the Bible seriously. Well, we need to take the Bible seriously. But the issue that Scripture presents to us is not that we don't, we don't just take the Bible serious. is that the, the Scriptures actually become our authority. That becomes our, our, our deciding standard. Does that make sense for all of us? Remember we talked about a, a couple weeks ago that if, if, if justice is going to be for everybody, then there has to be a standard that everybody adheres to. And the scriptures become that standard for us. And has been that standard for our nation for generations. You know that? So it's not just that we take the Bible serious. We believe it's our authority. Now let me... Let me, let me uh, give you a couple ideas right here. Remember Jesus said, if you love me, John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's real plain. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now we, we know the idea of keeping his commandments means to obey, right? It means to obey those commandments. You hear what Jesus says and you do what you have to do to follow what he says. Okay. And that may involve some repentance because you've been doing it wrong. Here's another idea of keep my commandments. Keep the idea of obedience. We don't have to let go of that. But here's another idea of keeping Jesus' commandments or what Jesus says, his teachings. Keep them. This idea of keeping them as the standard. Okay? So we not just keep to follow and obey, but let's say that I break one of those commandments that Jesus talks about. What we have to do is take my life and examine it according to the standard, because we are a group of people that keep the commandment as the standard for all of us. Now, we may choose to forgive, we may choose to have mercy, but we have to be a people that keeps the standard. You see what I'm talking about? Because we can't, the, the bar doesn't get lowered for anybody. Whether you're rich or you're poor. We've got to be a people that learn to keep, now we can't keep the standards in the same spirit that the Pharisees did, because then we'll actually try to keep the law and then hunt Jesus down as if he's an animal. <laughs> you know, it would do silly stuff. But we've got to be a people who keep the standards of Jesus in front of us. You see what I'm talking about? So whether it's me, if, I, if I'm, I'm just going to use me as an example, because, you know, Pud's probably got it all together. <laughs> if, if, if I'm on the wrong side of an issue. Why am I on the wrong side of an issue? Because we're a people that keep the standard high, no matter who it is. Am I clear on that? I feel like I'm not kind of explaining it the way I, I feel it. Y'all clear? Shake your head like this. 
So keep it, obey it. But what if somebody breaks it? Do we just discard that person? No, we have to make decisions as leadership or a group of people. We got to make decisions based upon the standard and the love that's also, also got to be mixed in with all of it. Now, the Bible is our standard for right and wrong. Now, remember the three groups that, that we talked about a couple weeks ago about that make up the civil rights movement. The three groups, remember that? The human rights group, which deals with a lot of minority issues. Uh, the Black Lives Matter now is in that deal. Um, immigration, you know, the illegals and all that kind of thing, how to handle all those things. And then we talked about the, the women's rights movement, which is feminism and abortion on demand, all that kind of thing. And then the LGBTQIA plus movement, you know, we, we talked about that. Those three streams now make up the civil rights movement and a lot of the social activism going on in our country. A lot of the, lot of the things we hear coming out right now have to do with those three movements and we're not gonna hear, we ain't heard the last of it either, okay? Now let me ask you this, just those three things, those three groups and some of the issues that you may know about that they, that they uh, uh, espouse to. Does the Bible speak to these groups and their ideas? Ain't no doubt. It speaks to them very strongly in, in some cases, doesn't it? And, and in fact, some of it's on the thou shalt and thou shalt not side of things. You know? So as a Christian, and this is why we're talking about this justice war, as a Christian, as a, and, and especially me as, a, as a, a Christian leader, when a particular group has another idea where the Bible is very plain about and very clear. Now, I know there's some things we can interpret and some things we can, we can, we can talk about and discuss, but there's other things that, that are already set by the authority of Scripture. When those things are set by the authority of Scripture, can we call ourselves Christians and discard the authority? It becomes some murky waters, doesn't it? Because the Bible speaks to a lot of these issues already. What about abortion on demand? I mean, the Bible speaks plainly to the sanctity of life, very plainly. Just thinking about it, going through some of my notes, and it's occurred to me before, but it came back to me today, that, that idea of abortion. Do you realize that the, other than Mary herself, the very first person that bore witness to Jesus being the Son of God was a baby who was six months in his mama's belly? It's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, at, at, while he was in the womb, he had, a, he had a, a, a taste of reality. He could, he could feel, he sensed what was going on between Elizabeth and Mary. He sensed what was going on in, in the heavens and what God was doing. Even in, in the womb, that baby sensed that. And it says, when she told him that, when, when Mary came and told Elizabeth that, that, John leaped in her womb. You see what I'm talking about? It, it's no coincidence that that happened like that. You know what I'm talking about? To give us some sort of a foundation, you know. All right. The Bible is our standard for right and wrong. Now, let, let's go over here into 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want to just kind of unpack that for the remainder of our time tonight. Here's our, our viewpoint of Scripture. It just comes right out of Scripture itself. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, which was one of his sons in the faith. He was a young preacher, uh, probably was the pastor in Ephesus is what historians tell us which that was a real thriving church growing there. And he had all kinds of challenges and all kinds of dealings with, with paganism and immorality and all kinds of things going on. And a young church trying to grow up in that environment. And Paul, Paul needed to help Timothy a lot in a lot of ways. And thank God for their relationship because it models a lot of things that we need in our church today as well. Listen to what it says about the Bible right here. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, and I'm going to just say the man or woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, can we just unpack that a little bit? Now, what does it mean by all scripture? Well, the way we take it to mean, we mean that the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. You got an old, what we call an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? I like to say it like this. We got an Old Testament or a First Testament, because actually it's not just passed away. You still got prophecies in it that's being fulfilled and all that kind of thing. So it's not old in the sense that it's disregarded, because it still sets as a standard. Because when you know it, Paul went to a city and he preached. He didn't preach out of the book of Ephesians because he was still writing that. You know what he preached out of? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all, all of these kind of things. He, 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 would, he would take these texts and he would preach and show that Jesus was the true Messiah. You know what I'm talking about? So you got an Old or First Testament, which is Genesis to Malachi, which makes up 39 parts of the, that book. Those books, excuse me. Then you got a New, or I, I would say a New Testament or a Last Testament. Now, now what, that word testament, that's an interesting word. How do we use that in our culture? If somebody is uh, uh, concerned about their assets, what do they go and write? They go and write their last will and testament. Well, that's kind of how we see the New Testament, as the last will and testament of Messiah himself. It's his will for us. Tells us about our inheritance because of the cross and everything that Jesus has purchased. Matthew to Revelation 27 writings in, that make up part of that 66. Now, in the scriptures, there's lots to learn. There's no doubt about it. Uh, context, culture, Hebrew and Greek words. I, I try to give you some of that, but there's a lot. You know, if, if I really gave it to you like I wanted to give it to you, you know that every sermon would be about six hours long. <laughs> Just give it to me a little bit of time, right? I'm serious because there's just so much that's there and it's so rich and so deep. And what we're doing when we're studying all that is we're trying to get to the original intent or the original intended meaning. That's what we're trying to get to. What, 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 did it, what, what was Isaiah talking about? What was he thinking when he wrote this? As best as we can, we try to, to, to rewind and, and take our resources and study. You know, what, what did Matthew mean by that? What, what was the setting and where, where well, the people, you know, what, what do we know about them and all that kind of thing. And we're putting it together. And that's the reason I tell you stories like I do and show you pictures and give you graphs and take you on those little journeys through the pictures and all the, the geography and all that kind of thing is because we're trying to get to the original intended meaning, if at all possible. Because it's my conviction that you can't understand what a scripture means for today until you understand what it meant then. Now, I, I may just jump into what I believe it applies to. But I want you to understand, if I do that, I have tried my best in private to do all the homework that I possibly know to do. And I got more books than you can shake a stick at. And I got computer programs that cost me a whole, whole lot of money. In here, there's probably got 8,000 different books in my computer program. I got it right here sitting right in my computer. And I could, I, could, I could sing you to sleep every night with Greek and Hebrew. I could just going through these resources, all right? I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to, but I, I, I like to do my homework because I really, you realize what I do for a living. It's crazy what I do. To stand up here and represent all of this truth and all this right and wrong and all this, all this gospel that's been handed to it. It's, it's a, it's a, let me tell you what happens to me every now and again. 
Hadn't happened in a while, but every now and again, I, I, I go through, it almost seems like a, a little bit of a heaviness. It's the only way I can say it. It's not quite a depression, but every now and again, I'll go through a period of a couple days. It usually doesn't last any longer than two days to where there's just a weight that comes on you, a weight of responsibility to let you know what you handle. You're handling God's word and God's people. You're handing, handling things of eternal value, eternal decisions. And every now and again, I believe the Lord has, has let that happen and visit me quite often throughout my, my life and ministry. Every now and again, it just sits on me very heavy. And I just have to say, don't, don't worry about me. I'm okay. It, it just came. And that's a healthy thing for me. It's a very healthy thing. Because if you get flippant with these things and nonchalant with it and all that, you're going to be worse off than the people you're trying to help. You know what I'm talking about? So, so that's, that's, that's a healthy thing that happens to me. Because we're handling holy and sacred things. And the times I forgot that is the times I've gotten in real big trouble with God. You know, God help us not to forget. So all scripture, we're talking about your Bible, right? The 66 books. Now, let's just go through these little by, little by little. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, what does that mean? Inspiration. That's the idea of God breathed. That we believe that the Scriptures, and the Scriptures present themselves to us as such, we believe that the Scripture was breathed right out of the mouth of God, right out of the heart of God, right out of the mind of God, spoken by God to people. That's what this idea of inspiration, the Bible is inspired. You've heard it said like that. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. You've heard that before? That's the idea that we believe that God literally breathed it into existence. All right. Now we can talk about how that inspiration happened. The people didn't just go into a trance and God just kind of took over their brains and minds. It was a cooperation. They heard God. They heard him breathe. He exhaled. They inhaled and they gave it to us. You know, that kind of thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and Scripture is profitable for doctrine. So now, what, what does it mean, profitable? If you've got a business and it's profitable, what does that mean? That means it's a good day, right? It's a good day. It, it, it means you're making money, right? Well, this is, you know, that's how we see the word. The idea of profitable means that it's helpful or it's advantageous or, or even an idea of making money in a business. It's beneficial, now tell me what kind of benefits the scripture is going to bring into your life. If you, if you take it and study it, we got a man down. <laughs> Wipe out. If, 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 what's some of the benefits that scripture bring into your life? What do you think? Helps us get through the day. Gives us hope. Encouragement. Encouragement puts courage in me. You know, that kind of thing. What else? Wisdom. Wisdom. That, that's like my favorite thing to, to pray for and ask for for myself. In fact, if you're praying for Sandy and I, ask God to give us wisdom. That's the most important thing we need, I, I promise you. Our own lives and helping and, and managing other things and people and helping people and all that kind of thing. Wisdom. So one of the key benefits for Scripture to profit us is it's going to make us smarter than we really are. It's going to give us wisdom because it's literally the mind of God that God breathed out to us to help us. All right, let's keep going right here. It's profitable for doctrine. Okay, now that's a word we don't use very often, right? You probably didn't use the word doctrine in a sentence today, did you? What in the world is doctrine? You hear, you hear things like preachers say that these are the doctrines of our faith or these are the doctrines that we teach in this church. And I just wish we just spoke a little plainer sometimes. Um, 
This is, the word doctrine just simply means teaching. It simply means teaching or instruction. So what we believe is that the scriptures are the teachings of God imparting kingdom information, or we could say kingdom knowledge to us, his people. And the kingdom knowledge is very plain. And most of it's very plain spoken, teaching us how we should treat one another. Teach us how we should handle our finances. Teaching us how we should, should handle our marriages. Teaching us how we should handle our children. Teaching us how we should handle our businesses and, and the people that work with us and for us. All those kind of things. It's very profitable to teach us all of these things pertaining to life and godliness. All right? Everybody good? Right, just a few more as we unpack this, this verse here. The scriptures are good for reproof. Okay, that's another word we don't use that often. Reproof. It's conviction or rebuke. You know, the scriptures will rebuke you. Anybody ever been rebuked? You know, when my mama rebuked me, she didn't, she didn't say things like what we say. She didn't say, I, I rebuke you. My mama slapped me in the back of the head and said, boy, what are you doing? <laughs> Anybody know it? That was a rebuke. It was like, I don't know whatever I was doing. I ain't supposed to be doing it. I know that. I do know that much right now. All right. You know, the scriptures really help us a lot. And, and they're a gift to us. When, when you're off track, the word of God will be faithful to rebuke you. To say, hey, hey. And, and thank God I had two parents that helped me in that area. That, that's, that's a huge blessing for us that had that, you know. Or maybe, maybe you got one. Maybe, maybe they've helped you in that idea of, of convicting you or, or letting you know that there's a boundary there of right and wrong. Don't cross it. That's a gift to your life. You know that? Because, see, when the, when the Bible lays out a boundary or a, a, a point of, of right and wrong, a boundary, let's say it like that, when it lays out a boundary, you know what it is? It's protection. It's a boundary of protection over our life. So when the scripture sees us, or when the Holy Spirit sees us on the other side, scripture comes along, rebukes us, and said, hey, you're on the wrong side of that issue. You're on the wrong side of that attitude. You're on the wrong side of how you're handling things. Get over here. That's a real gift. Here's a tragic thing. Scripture also teaches us that we can harden our hearts in such a way that you can't hear that anymore. That's dangerous ground. It's good for correction. So that rebuke is, is, is part of that idea of correction. It helps me know when I'm wrong, but correction is not just telling me what I'm wrong. It, it's helping me straighten back up and make it right again. Isn't that what you want when you go to the doctor? I mean, you want him to tell you what's wrong, but what else do you want out of him? Him or her. You want them to help make you right and make you well, right? So the Bible does that. It, 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 it shows us what's wrong, but it also helps us make it right. Because, it's, you know, it's very frustrating if you're working with somebody or working for somebody. Or maybe it's somebody in your family relationship. And they let you know that you're always wrong, but they won't ever help you make it right. That's a frustrating relationship, isn't it? Especially if you're dealing with somebody in authority or anything like that. But the scripture is faithful to correct us. I, I believe the scripture says this. What is it? Hebrews 13, I think it is. It, it says that the Lord chastens those 
that he loves. And I tell you, my mama loved me a whole lot. <laughs> so, so the scripture's faithful to help us straighten back up. And if I'm having to, if I'm being rebuked or reproved, reproved, and I'm being corrected, it's because God loves me enough to invest in my life to say, hey, stop this, and now let's straighten back up and do this. You see what I'm talking about? That's a gift to us now. It's proper for, reproof, or for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For instruction. That's an idea again of teaching us. Teaching us. But it's not just teaching. It's, it's the idea of, of discipline and training. You know, if you're going to follow God, you're going to have to go through a rigorous program of training. Do you realize that? You probably have already. It's what's called discipleship. It's where you go through training and the Holy Spirit is your teacher and he's your, he's your companion in this journey of your training. And hopefully there's other believers in your life and, and maybe teachers and pastors that can help you along this idea of instruction and training. But, but you will never, ever know what it is to live in godliness without training. See, a lot of people try to live the Christian life, but very few people train to live the Christian life. It's one of the reasons why we're in such a mess in the church today. Very few people train. You know, you have to train yourself. You have to train yourself to get up a little bit early in the mornings to read your scriptures. You've got to train yourself a little bit to fast and, and, and pray. You've got to train yourself. It's not just going to happen. A lot of people say these kind of things, like that. I wish I was a concert pianist. Well, that sounds nice and good, but do you really? Well, if you really wanted to be a pianist, what would you have to do? You'd have to practice. You'd have to train, right? If, if you would want to be, a, in your younger days, if you want to be a, a world-class athlete, you got to train. you got to train a lot. You know? The same is true. You know, the disciples got a gift from God with Jesus calling them alongside for about three years or so. And you know what they were going through every single day of their life with Jesus? They were going through this idea of instruction or training. And they would say stuff. And Jesus said, oh, oh, oh. I mean, he would reprove them, right? I mean, one time he reproved or rebuked Peter so bad. In fact, he, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't even know about the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man. That's a big correction point right there, right? They got a gift. Now, we've got an opportunity to do the same thing and become true disciples of Jesus. Now, not, not, just, not just followers or believers. You know, we, we've lost the word disciple because, truthfully, we don't like the word disciple because we don't like the idea of discipline. And they're all related. But it takes a lot of discipline, a lot of training. And, hey, I failed at every point you can imagine in this training process. But you know what you got to do? You know what? If I'm trying to run a five-minute mile and, I, and I'm getting it down and I got it down to seven and I got it down to six and a half and I'm, I'm trying to get to five and, and, and maybe I'm working it, working it down and then one day I get it at five and a half, I don't quit because I failed. I train harder until I get to my goal. You know what I'm talking about? Scriptures help to train us. And the biggest point of training we need is right here in our minds. 
we really don't think right. We don't, we don't think like the scriptures teach us. So we got to go through that renewal process and retrain our thinking, retrain our reaction to things, retrain how we treat people. We got to retrain how we handle ourselves, how we are, are driven by emotion or whatever kind of thing like that, you know? If I had time, we could go through all the, the things about that Peter listed, excuse, excuse me, Paul lists at the end of his letters. It's all things that we need to work on. We need to be trained in, to be tenderhearted, to learn to forgive one another, to learn to honor one another, to learn to obey those in authority. You know, he says those kind of things all the time. What's he doing? Train yourself in this. And you may not get it right the first 25 times, but keep training. Thank God for his patience in this training process. Amen. We are being trained in righteousness. If we took, a, again, I do this every time we see this word righteousness right here. We take off all the suffixes. What do you have left from the word righteousness if you take off all the suffixes? What do you have left? You got the word right. It's the instruction or training or the discipline of doing things the right way. We all need help in that, don't we? Because what's my natural proclivity? What's my natural bend? To do things in the wrong way. That's what sin does, right? We've got a sin bend. Every one of us do. When we're trained already, we trained in doing the wrong. And we've got a lot of people around us that's trained in doing the wrong thing. Which doesn't help things at all. We need training in doing the right thing. Doing what God requires, doing what is right. This is what the idea of justice is, right? All right. And we're almost done here. Verse 17. It says that the man or woman of God may be complete. Or let's just say that the, the people of God even, because it, it applies to all of us too. May be complete. Okay, so the scriptures are going to come and help us to help us become complete. What does that word mean? It means qualified or proficient. Making us ready to function properly in this kingdom that we're part of. You know, there's only one person that's ever got the idea of what it truly is to be human. There's only one person that's ever got it right. And that's Jesus. So when the Bible says that he knew no sin, he didn't, he didn't do any sin, he committed no sin. It is saying to us that Jesus is the only one who has ever lived this human life in the right way. So that's why we listen to him. That's why we hear him. That's why we follow him, among many other reasons. But he can help us. And he can make us more proficient than we are. Now, what does it mean to be proficient in, in something? If you're going to be proficient at your job, what does that mean? That means you're good at it, right? You're getting good at it. If you were to take the idea of proficient, what, what's the, 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 uh, uh, the, the prefix? <laughs> the prefix of proficient is the idea of, same idea of professional. If, if somebody's a professional athlete, what does that mean about their athletic ability? Well, they've mastered it, right? If somebody's proficient, that means they've become a pro. They've got it down. That's what God wants to do in our lives, to help us. And boy, do we got a ways to go on that, don't we? to make us ready to function properly, to make us complete, thoroughly equipped. Equipped. The idea of furnished. You know, if you move into a house, what's the next thing you need? You need furniture, right? It's the idea of our life. What, we come to God. He forgives us of our sins. 
makes us into a new person, and then he begins to furnish us and equip us for spiritual things, but also for the most practical things in life. He equips us. And Jerry, you're a mechanic. Some of you have done construction and all that kind of thing. And you know how frustrating it is to get to a job and not have the right equipment. What's going to happen? I mean, it's impossible to do it without the right equipment. Isn't it? So, so God wants to give us the right equipment on how to live life. This is what the scriptures is for. That's why I stand up here and pound in your head a, a, every, an hour every time we get together. Boom, boom. As much as I possibly can. Boom, boom, boom. What, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get you furnished in a particular area, whatever we're focusing on, and trying to bring the couch and put it in the right spot. Set the TV up in the right spot. And I'm trying to furnish the house of your mind so that you can be better. In fact, that's one of the job descriptions I've got over myself is that I am to, to do the work of the ministry for the equipping of the saints, right? It's a big part of what leadership is supposed to do. Not to do the work, but to equip you. I mean, we've got to do work too, but, but to equip you to do what you're called to do as well. All right? It's the idea of giving you what you need to do whatever you need to do, all right? To add to you what you lack. Even in the idea of spiritual gifts, you know, Paul makes it real plain. He said, I want to come and pray with you and I want to lay hands on you so that I can impart to you a spiritual gift. Now, that may sound, sound odd to us. So what, what do you mean, a man imparting to somebody else? Well, it's how it works sometimes. We can impart things to one another. We know that's to be true. We can impart negativity to each other as well. And that happens on, never mind, you know, lots more we want to think about. But we can also impart good things to each other. The Holy Spirit will use us in all of that. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's all of life, right? Every good thing you got, got to do, whatever God's got in plans and purposes for your life, God wants to furnish you, equip you, make you proficient for every good, for all of your life. For all of life. I think I'm about done. The Bible may be ancient, but it's amazing how practical it is for 21st century living. It's amazing. It's amazing that it contains the answers of what's ailing our society right now. It's amazing. And why is that the case? It's because it's God breathed. It's alive. Strong. It's a source of life. Amen. God's word is our source of right and wrong. And let's just read this again in its entirety. Can we read that? And we'll close. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen.